that's the real mantra to my talk, I would say, is that I built Redwood before Redwood. And then when I got a moment to speak to David T on Redwood, he literally said to me, I understood your talk and I felt the exact same thing. I built Redwood before Redwood. It's like, we're all building Redwood before Redwood. Welcome back to the FS Jam podcast, episode five. This week, we're going to talk about how I built my new startup on top of Redwood and the transition from our previous MVP technology and a lot of other subjects. But before we go into the main topics, I just want to highlight two things. A lot of people have not put our faces to our voices. So you can follow me on Twitter, Burned Chris. So Burned Chris on Twitter. And Anthony, that's AJC Webdev. AJC Webdev. It's for my initials, Anthony, my middle name, and Campolo. The J stands for Joseph. I was going to say Joseph. That's literally the first one that came to my head. Joseph. Very biblical. <laughs> yeah, so you can find me at Burned Chris on Twitter and Anthony at AJC Webdev. You can also follow our Twitter account at FSJam. ORG. FSJam ORG. Org. We are always posting updates about upcoming episodes and what also else is happening around Redwood, Blitz, and Bison. So it's always a great follow. So let's jump in. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to talk about this stuff now that you've done a full presentation about it, because we've mentioned it throughout the course of many of our episodes, especially episode zero and episode one. You told your whole history of your stack and how you built it, and then how we've transitioned that to Redwood, and then how you also thought about how do we combine Redwood and Next into this kind of hybrid. So when I was able to see like your slides and your kind of architectural diagrams, which we'll link to in the show notes, for me, like I got it immediately. I was like, oh, this, this is the stuff he's been talking about. A lot of it kind of like clicked together. I thought you did a really good job of really explaining the difference between the two architectures and how you've been able to really simplify your stack. But I also think it's interesting how you think that you can simplify your stack even further. You're trying to get everything into one giant box. One giant monolith? The majestic monolith. The majestic monolith. As Anthony noted, I recently did a presentation at the latest Redwood JS meetup. Dom over at Redwood had the recording, edited it down for me, and I've posted it on YouTube. So a link will be in the description if you want to watch my talk. Also will be the slides if you just want to read them. It was a very tight slice. What we've been able to achieve with Everfund and Redwood and Next.js. And I'm sure this will be the in-depth of the good, the bad, and the ugly on things that I didn't cover on the rosy path to Redwood. So where should we start? Where should we start? I thought it was interesting. The one thing we didn't talk about the first time we talked about this was that you used happy. Why did you use happy instead of something like express? I was still newish on. I wanted to use TypeScript. A lot of people were like, yeah, happy's really good for TypeScript. So I was like, cool, I'll use happy. I never really looked at express. I knew what express was, but I just thought it was really basic when actually it can be pretty good as well. But also, what got depreciated not long ago, Happy did. A lot of the technologies I used in uh, version one are now depreciated. The crazy thing about that was that this was only worked on a year ago. 
well, don't they have like a new team now? They depreciate it, but they're also, the idea is that Happy Now has like a second life. That's how I understood it when it was announced. Are they working on like a new Happy 2 or something? I'm not quite sure off the top of my head. I would guess so, but it, there was like an announcement of like, we have a whole new team, like we're working on this now. We'll link to that. Let's just give an overview for the people that are just listening to it. So if you're in your car or you're just listening to us as you go, we're going to explain the majestic MVP of Everfund. Where to start? We'll start with the back end, the ugly side, as I may say. It had three elements, MongoDB Atlas, hosted Mongo database, Prisma 1 as the ORM, with Happy as the server. So was Prisma and Happy both hosted on a server on DigitalOcean? Yes, they were both Dockerized on DigitalOcean, and I still to this day truly do not understand how Docker works fully and creating images. So if they were both Dockerized, they should actually both be their own box talking to each other. Yes. Instead of being in one box. Yes, they were in different boxes. They just didn't have much security around their boxes, so they were very easy to talk to each other. Interesting. Okay. And then you have GraphQL pointing between the two of them because that's how they were speaking to each other. And we this is what we talked about the whole thing. Is Prisma GraphQL or not? And does it use Nexus or not? And so go back and listen to the initial episode to kind of get that background there. But I think it's interesting that you still end up with a database and a server and a front end. So you end up with kind of like three pieces here. And I guess it would have been four pieces because Happy and Prisma are both their own server. I think what a lot of people ended up with when they had Prisma. So it was like almost like a microservice architecture. And now we've moved to more of a monolith using Prisma more like an ORM kind of tool, which they have finally caved. And if you go to their homepage, they are prominently called an ORM now. Is that a next generation ORM though? Next generation ORM. Sure, why not? You can be any kind of ORM you want to be, Prisma. The future of ORMs. (laughs) If you didn't know, the first version of Prisma was developed in Rust, I want to say off the top of my head. It was Scala. Now it's in Rust. Scala. That's it. It was Scala. And it had to be Dockerized. So you had to run it in a Docker container. The first thing we looked at was, let's host it all on AWS. And Fargate... Now that is expensive. So then we went down the, we'll just host it all ourselves on DigitalOcean. That was a joy, as you can tell. The Happy Server was built with multiple technologies that were really not fun and pretty, but they worked, and that's why we kept on moving forward with it. Such as Prisma, is it Prisma Nexus or GraphQL Nexus? Yeah, it's called GraphQL Nexus. They don't put the Prisma name in it because it's like an open source project that's sponsored by Prisma. It was like the old one. Pretty sure they deprecated that and then built a new version of it. They had a framework built around the library. They've kind of gotten rid of the framework and now they're just investing more heavily in the library, I think is kind of the situation right now. The main point of the Nexus, sorry, the GraphQL Prisma, what, no, was that? I'll have to look it. But the, the main point of this library was that it helped you create the CRUD operations really fast, but also the mapping of the GraphQL to the client through Apollo. So you had Happy, that was the base layer, but it wasn't even the base layer. So you had Docker, that was the base layer, with Happy above it, with, I think it was Apollo Yoga above that, with Nexus above that, communicating up and down all the way to a server and back. A lot of moving parts and a lot of services running and 
frameworks built on top of frameworks. And this is what really moved me towards Redwood JS in the first place, because hands down, I really like Redwood. The API is near perfect for myself. The perfection of the API is top level, nine out of 10. The one golden feature I wish that it could add is automatic scaffolding of SDLs for external services like Stripe. But obviously at this point, you can only scaffold and generate your SDL. That's the kind of thing where it's like, you can have that if you build it yourself and then everyone else can have it too. I've got Stripe as an SDL. So that's what I'm saying, because a decent amount of people use Stripe who are using it for payment, but not everyone who's using Redwood is using it for payment. So that's still kind of a specialized use case. And the Stripe graph is massive. And I think that was the core reason our functions never fitted on lambdas because our graph was just massive because of all the extra functionality of Stripe. Do you know anything about one graph? One graph's interesting. Yeah, I like one graph, but the problem is that for us personally, we were using Stripe Connect Custom, so we wanted more control over the connection. So the point of one graph, what you could do is say, I just want to communicate straight with Stripe. And you could do that through one graph. So one graph, it would be your communication layer, but also the SDK library. So obviously the one graph is then communicating with Stripe JS in the background that you never see. But for us, we wanted to see the, the Stripe JS. You know, we wanted to add the extra parameters needed for Stripe Connect Custom. Now that's interesting. The reason I ask, one graph is being used by Brian Douglas for his project called OpenSauce. He uses it for GitHub's GraphQL API, because I would imagine in terms of like complexity of APIs, GitHub's GraphQL API is up there with something like Stripe. GitHub's API is probably, I would say about a third of Stripe. Because the problem with Stripe is you have a lot of different services now and that they keep on adding more services. So it's not just Stripe. Stripe, you're hooking into other things that aren't Stripe also. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Gotcha. Because this is what, like, the whole point of one graph is that you, the way I understand is, like, to normalize your graph across everything. Well, yes, that as well. But also you could abstract away your API if you require your backend. You could say, I'm going to have a Next.js front end that just straight communicates with one graph and never need an actual API or a service running. And that's probably if Blitz would bring in something like GraphQL, that's how they would probably do it. Probably. I think OneGraph is awesome. One of the things about OneGraph that I do think is really awesome, and that I've been trying to persuade the Redwood team to integrate, is to move away from the GraphQL playground as a default client to Graphical. And the main reason why, not because of dark mode, as most people prefer, but it's because one graph made a plugin for graphical that basically builds your query. So when you select all the things you want on the left, it then will build it into the correct hook structure. Gatsby have it added to their graphical. So for example, you literally click all the things you want. It literally gives you code export of this is the code you need to just paste into your JavaScript file and it will work. What I imagine if Redwood adopted it, they would say, okay, click these options in the graphical user interface and then you can code export a cell. That obviously requires a more of a user interface than a CLI, but then it would give more options to that client as well. This is what you talked about actually in the roundtable with 
Peter, Brandon, and Chris, you guys talked about creating some sort of like universal generator tool that could be shared between the three frameworks. And this would apply more so to Redwood and Bison being heavier into GraphQL. The same kind of idea of like having a really powerful generator because we're all building our own bespoke generators right now. And that's the biggest thing. There is obviously so much room and so much all three of these frameworks are doing and not necessarily sharing. It's almost like, as I said in my Redwood talk, we're all building the same things. So why don't we just let one person do it for us? That's the real mantra to my talk. I built Redwood before Redwood. When I got a moment to speak to David Thryson on Redwood, he literally said to me, I understood your talk and I felt the exact same thing. I built Redwood before Redwood. It's like, we're all building Redwood before Redwood. A lot of these integrations are super not trivial. You'd think they would be very straightforward, you know? Just add Storybook, just add Jess, just add Mock Workers, you know? Even adding data to your seed because you've got a live application and you want to test it, is are you going to use fake data? Are you going to use real data? I know Peter from the Redwood team is working on a product that does something on these lines. Hopefully, some of them will be really helpful to help expand the Redwood and even Bison and Blitz. I remember when I last spoke to Chris Ball, who will be a guest in January, he was working on a breakthrough in this area. It really feels that all of these frameworks are making breakthroughs, but it's almost the same breakthrough on the same month because they all solve the same problem and they go, what's the next problem? And then this is the next one and they're all figuring out their own ways to these solutions. That's really fun. To bring it back to the point of Everfund and our old technology stack. So the Happy Server, the Prisma One, the server basically fell apart. I went from what I believed was a 2 out of 10 server to a 9 out of 10. Redwood is amazing on the server. On the clients, I decided, what technologies have I used? I've used Gatsby a lot. I think this could work in Gatsby. We went down the route of Gatsby. Our dashboard and our donation links were coded in Gatsby. So you had two different Gatsby apps. Were they in the same repo? No, separate repos. Okay. So those should also be their own separate boxes. So you've got you've got two boxes here, but really there's actually should be like five boxes here. Yeah, it was like super hard to manage it all. And it got to the point when we said we're working on a new version, we just halted development and support on the original version. I kind of put the title it is as it is until the new version's out. Our customers have now started onboarding and taking payments on our new version. Today was our best day of our new version. Our payment platform took £750, approximately. It's obviously the biggest since it's been relaunched three or four days ago. But it obviously is shown that what I've built is working and is far much more stable. And that makes me really, really happy. Why did I pick Gatsby? Well, Gatsby is what I knew. And I had this idea in my head. One of our main features of Everfund is that we've created this brand new technology that we call donation links. 
imagine a short URL service like Bitly, and then also imagine Stripe. But what happened if every time you generated a Bitly or a short link that you got a new Stripe checkout? And that's the main core of whatever fund is. It's a payment checkout specifically driven for charities and non-profits in the UK. So that means we take things into gift aid, a tax scheme in the UK. Every donation can be increased by 25%. Real big deal. We allow our donators to cover the costs of the payment. So these things help the charities convert more donations and be more transparent with their donators and the biggest thing is give them more data but back to the point of the links i'm going to generate 50 links that's great i say to gatsby build 50 new links gatsby goes okay i'm going to go away and build 50 new links because we wanted the open graph data when these links are shared on facebook or twitter or instagram you would get the nice open graph data. And that was great in, in the early days. The prototype worked perfectly. It would create the links as we needed them. Then we started expanding. Can I have 700 links? Can I have 800 links? And you go, okay, yep, it's still fine. And then the problems really started showing when they started saying, can I change this link? Can I change the text on this donation portal? Can I update the goals? And then you'd go, yep, our system has now 1,000 links activated. One link has changed. So we now have to rebuild the whole Gatsby website with the 1,000 links. You start seeing the problem of one tiny change is now causing a whole platform to be rebuilt. This was the big open question that we didn't know where to go. That was the donation links. On the other side, we had the dashboard. That was also built in Gatsby. It communicated through GraphQL Apollo to Happy. I can't quite remember off the top of my head if there's specific React hooks for Gatsby or they're just React hooks. A lot of our implementations of things like auth and management of data was using very general libraries. So a lot of this authentication layer had to be done by ourselves. Obviously, inexperienced took over and we just got by. We had user login sorted, one user per account, no teams or anything like that. When we decided, look, this current MVP, it worked, it proved the concept. We started making money on it, i.e. taking donations for our charities. We onboarded more charities. The problem started growing and growing. And the biggest problem that broke the camel's back was when our donation platform asked for a massive feature. We took a look at our technology stack, started to try to develop that feature, and it broke the whole camel's bag. And how long ago was this that this happened? This was about five months ago. So it broke everything. And are you able to say what that feature is? Can you describe it at least generally? It's a very trivial feature. As I said, with the donation portals, updating them, programmatically with Gatsby and also management of single donations through a dashboard and an API and filtering them and doing data manipulation on them. These things sound so straightforward and I understand that. You could be a junior developer right now and think that sounds really hard or you could be a senior developer that goes that sounds easy. The difference is that the pattern 
is the key. If you don't understand the pattern, you're going to struggle to do it at the end of the day. So you're just talking about like the ETL type stuff. ETL being extract, transform, load. You have data that's going to come from one place, has to get to another place, and it's going to be in one form and has to get there in a different form. And doing that is really complicated. Exactly. And CRUD, all of these things are really complicated when you're doing it by yourself for the first time. What do you do? You look at tutorials, you look at demo repositories, and you work it out, right? I would never do that. I know you wouldn't. I just, I learn when I code. No, I'm totally kidding. Like, that's that's all I do. That's what everyone does. That's what anyone can do with this stuff. Exactly. And the problem is, no uniform patterns were being produced. Everything was coded differently with different hacks and solutions implemented to get it moving. So then we decided, look, it works right now. It works. We're so sorry to our customers, but we're going to have to go away and reprogram it. What every MVP does, you prove that it works as fast as you can and then you go, uh, yeah, it's going to be hard. It's kind of like the whole philosophy of you go to a hackathon, you spend all night, and then you, you come to the presentation, you go, yeah, this is what I built in 24 hours. And a company's like, oh, yeah, I like that. I like that. Yeah, I, I could do with that in my business. After the fact, the company goes up to the people that build that stuff, and they go, so how, how long would it take you, if you built all of that in 24 hours, how long will it take you to build this extra trivial feature? A month? Nah, a year. A year, you know, because it's built to prove the purpose. And this is a great segue into a term that you used that I really would like to hone in on. What you're describing is you're describing technical debt. And it sounds like you hit a point of technical debt where you had to declare technical bankruptcy <laughs> because it got so bad. And what you need is we need technical wealth. Exactly. And I, I didn't come up with this term. The first person that said this term to me was Monarch on episode three of our podcast. He quickly brushed over the term. It sat in my mind and I quickly said it at our meetup. But the main points to go into is that Redwood adds by default so much technical wealth that you would be challenged not to take it. For example, the scaffolding. Our MVP proved as fast as we can the solution worked. But what we could have done if we had the technical wealth of Redwood is built the scaffold as fast as we can. Prove that it worked with the scaffold before we went into depth into them features. And the other things, faster SDL support, the generation, the auth. The auth package is amazing. I would rate it 8 out of 10, amazing. Do you know I give another 9 out of 10? It's not as good as the API, but I really do like it. Why? Because it makes it so easy to get moving with good practices. For example, with our first version of Everfund, if you asked me, okay, add multiple team support, I would go, I don't know where to start. Do I add it on Auth0? Do I add it on, you know... Uh, our database, I don't know. But with Redwood, instantly in my head, Redwood gives you a user context. What you need to do is say, I'm part of team A in that user context. And then when they save a form, you instantly go, they're part of team A to obviously limit and give them correct data from only that team. 
Then you obviously make a nice little user interface that allows them to swap team or create a new team. So now you say, I'm part of team B. So then you update the context and now say you're part of team B. That was so trivial in Redwood when I was doing it by myself was the hardest task that I could think of. And this is why I'm really backing FS Jam Frameworks is because the amount of technical wealth they give you is incredible. I rebuilt Everfund in four months. And most people at the meetup were astonished, I'm sure, to what I understood. But, you know, there's a lot of long nights and not spending a lot of time with my family, my partner. Not spending time with this podcast. Not spending time with the podcast. Obviously, you know, you have to weigh things up. I find it always important to say that why I did build it in four months my family, my partner, they took the sacrifices. That's all I can say about that, about building it in four months. I thought your presentation was, was super awesome. It really showed what has gone into putting an application like this together and the type of iteration you have to do to get there. I definitely think people should check it out. We're on your Today's app, which had Prisma, Postgres. What I find interesting is now you have everything hosted on DigitalOcean. So you don't have as much like kind of piecemeal, bunch of different stuff hosted on different areas because you're able to have your server and your database both in the same place. Because before you had Mongo and your Happy Server and your Prisma thing all on different areas. I've said to you, I have no clue what the best database provider is, which one I should pick, why I should pick it. And at the time with Prisma 1, everyone spoke to me about MongoDB. You should use MongoDB. And if you didn't know, MongoDB is really hard to host on someone else's servers. So I used their Atlas product and it got expensive very fast for London deployment. We're not in a free zone in London, so we have to pay. Our database was hosted on Atlas that communicated to our DigitalOcean cluster that spoke between the Docker containers. With our new version, DigitalOcean manages our database and it's a Postgres database. If you asked me, even now, why Postgres? My answer, as simply as it is, is it's what Prisma 2 supports. I give you a lot of reasons why you should pick Postgres and why Postgres is, by almost any serious DBA's perspective, is the best database you can pick. If you're trying to pick something that's general and it's something that's going to work with most SQL that you can host in most places, that's going to be stable. It's going to have the most features. Like It's always, always, always going to be Postgres, at least for the last five to ten years and for the next five to ten years. Not that I, I don't have time to spend working these things out. It's just the thing of like, I just need somewhere to store the data. I don't care what it does as long as it gives me the data out. I keep thinking I should look into Fauna, but then I'm like, no, no, no. Don't look at that horizon. You should look into Fauna. You should just build like a really simple little proof of concept with Fauna. Like it's fun. Like don't do it with Redwood because that'll be complicated. Build a really simple Fauna thing just like with, you know, an express server, you'll you'll enjoy it. And like, you'll probably also realize that it's going to be very hard to build something like Everfund with it, but I think you'll enjoy it. Some things that this tech stack didn't cover 
that are also happening. The server, it was built in Redwood, so the Redwood API. It was built in TypeScript. TypeScript support on the server, really good. On the website, it's getting better. And so the services that are running on the server, one, there's the Redwood API. Then there's two, a file uploader that's separate from the Redwood API that's built in Express. Three, a webhooks client built separate for certain requests because Redwood has size limits on some of the things that you can upload through the server. Even though I'm using it in server full, it still had limits on like images, for example. If I wanted to pass an image verification, so like a passport to Stripe, the first thought was, oh, just pass it from the client. Yeah, but then you have to put your secret keys public in your client. So you need to have a server as a pass-through that pulls in the files, attaches the secret keys to Stripe, and then send them to Stripe and the data back. Like a 200-line express server to basically handle just the file uploads of the verification. I was having problems with Stripe webhooks on Vercel with Redwood that the problem never got resolved because Redwood went, it's Vercel. Vercel went, it's Stripe. And Stripe went, it's Vercel. That's when you just tweet Mojambo and Groush and you say, hey, you two, figure it out. Yeah, we got webhooks working in the end because surprisingly, in our platform, if webhooks didn't work, half our application didn't work. Surprise, surprise. Webhooks are important, even if you don't like them. And it's not that I don't like them. It's that they're a different way of programming an API that's not necessarily straightforward. Because it's more like event-based, right? Yeah. And more function-based. You first get the event, and then you need to figure out which event it is. Then pass that code through that event to, the, the obviously, the function. And then you need to run that function. But isn't that like, that's like all the JavaScript that I ever write, though. Like, you write JavaScript all the time, so like, I don't understand how it doesn't feel natural to you. I guess it's because it's no longer in a Redwood service. It's in its own container where I have to decide my own patterns and UX patterns and such. But it works and there's no problems with it. I would like to see some of this kind of like code like abstracted away if you could. A lot of the stuff that we're talking about, the architectural diagrams can only like get us so far. And I know like you can't just share the code from your platform. But I think it would be cool to kind of see like some pseudo code examples of some of this. I'm happy to share a lot of code from my platform. I would just prefer to not show the code that makes Everfund unique. The boring stuff are back. I'm happy to show you. If you want to see how to do permission-based roles, be my guest. But what else is a massive thing that Everfund solves? And I didn't talk about this in our meetup at Redwood. DNS. Why is that important? Because say you have an application, you would like to see name behind your customer's domains. Can you do that on Netlify? Do you know the answer? I know Netlify has, they're slowly expanding out the DNS stuff they can do at this point, but it's probably really complicated and you have to pay extra and talk to their team and work it out. It's very manual. I think you have to literally say on the forums which wildcard you want activated on which account and which site id to at this moment it's not like a simple interface but it's possible that's what you're saying it's possible yes and i think vercel is the same but this is where 
people normally use proxy technologies like nginx the first one obviously being nginx second one being caddy third one being i can't remember if they had there was another one apache is a big one right apache yeah but i don't know if people use apache so much for that because i know apache the problem is it wasn't it didn't have the same kind of like non-blocking io or something like that like you could just do this with a node server can't you well uh proxying yeah to what i understand these are one of the biggest questions that i have with redwood is how much should be done for you and how much should you need to learn because c naming your dashboard or your links behind your customers domains to me is rocket science at this stage obviously it's possible obviously a lot of people do it but not many people write about it on the internet on how they did it i have my sneaking suspicions on how that's something I'm yet to work out. That is obviously why two sides of our clients is not fully complete yet. To me, this is the type of stuff that I think is going to eventually be handled more smoothly by Netlify and Vercel. Like we're talking about now, how it's possible. It's just a lot of work. I think they're going in the direction to the point where this stuff will be one-click deploy. It's just hard and takes time. And we're the, the guinea pigs that are helping them get there. I know it's possible, but I would still, if you look at my technology stack right now, host my two clients on Netlify and only talk to an API on my DigitalOcean stack, because that would also work out better for me. I would have far much more operating room to serve more API requests than HTML requests and CSS and JavaScript. So that's something else um, to think about in the future. But we need to talk about my clients. So with the original, I had two Gatsby clients, Donation Links and Dashboard. Our new one, I have Redwood Web for our dashboard and Next.js for our donation links. The next question that I'm sure you're shouting at me right now, why two different platforms? They have different needs and you have to weigh up what need matters most. Why is that important? Next.js, even Gatsby, even Redwood Web, they all use Apollo as the underlying language to communicate. You can build anything in any language that communicates through Apollo and talk to a server. Well, even still, you wouldn't necessarily need Apollo if you wanted to use another GraphQL client like Urkel. Yes. It's the GraphQL thing is because that's the specification. They're all still like NASA to me though. Urkel and like Vulcan and... Adam Rackus has one called a micro react GraphQL, something like that. If Redwood announces that they're moving away from Apollo to something like Urkel or Vulcan or something else, you would really have to show me the benefits over just a smaller bundle size at this point. It'd be around the caching stuff is what it's based around, is that they all handle caching slightly differently. This is such a conversation. This is such a detour. What's the difference between caching and state management? I don't truly know myself. 
Well, because that has to do with whether your state is on your server or your client, because this is what Tara Lindsley is always talking about, is that we confuse server state for client state, or that we confuse the two of them for not even being separate things at all in the first place. It's about the server. Like, there's you can also cache on the client, so there's, there's just a lot of stuff that goes into it, and this is a thing that we would have to bring someone else on to talk about. Here's how I think about it in my brain. State management is when you click toggle on, toggle off but what's toggling but in the background that is pulling data from an api for us it's live mode and not live mode and then the difference is you toggle live mode on and then off and then back on that third time that data is going to come from your cache not uh, api request to what i understand at this stage in my developer career Massive subjects that we're not going to get into right here. State management. Redwood uses just standard context and hooks. Our Next.js client uses pull state. When you say pull state, is pull state an idea? Is it a library? Is it a pattern? What does that mean? It's a library. It's a, it's a library. It's a state management library. Saw some um, geezer on Reddit suggest it. I went ahead, implemented it for our Next.js app. It's more of a global context kind of state. Man, you're telling me there's another state management library that I've never even heard of. I can't believe that. I thought I knew about all of them. I do recommend pool state. It's really easy. Like, really easy. Easier than easy peasy? Don't ask me what easy peasy is. <laughs> yeah, it's like, what about overmind, brah? Okay, okay. Easy to me. Easy to me is you put a provider at the top and then you call the rest with hooks. That's easy to me. State management and caching, to me, is NASA. You know, if you ask me how they work, I do not know. But that would be the argument then, if you're asking what's the benefit, the benefit is switching from Apollo to Urkel for whatever is happening in the caching layer would be easier for the Redwood developer. The Redwood developer would not have to think about cache because there would be something baked into the framework that is doing caching the way that fits a redwood app that is the discussion that is happening as far as i understand it should and this is a question and it's an opinionated question should all states be managed by the server i would say good luck turning that shit back around is what i would say to that okay your toggle drop down obviously does not need to be managed by a server but i mean like you know what color scheme do they have preferenced something that you'd normally stick in cookies or you know a state management library you're more just going to manage it from the server back and forth every time they change something it's questionable obviously there's no right answer it's up to the application and we all choose differently back to the point of our client why did we use redwood because of the benefits of the auth library to log into our dashboard the router was good with the private links obviously working in use auth and the other thing is the scaffolding you think about building applications you think an api and a user interface they're about 50 50 they are not to build a user interface is more like 70 30 change my mind anthony wait do I have to? Sorry, like, I zoned out for a second, so when you asked me that question, I was like, I didn't listen to the last 10 seconds of the thing you said. Can you spin it back and ask me that again? Uh, I.e., it's a lot harder to build a user interface 
I.e., to build an application, you're going to spend 30% on your API and 70% on your user interfaces. Change my mind. Depends how user interface heavy your application is. A standard web app. Forms, graphs, and the good old third thing of searches. Well, that's a great question. I would say it depends how complicated the searching is, because that's the one thing that still can't really be done on the client side, because you can't ship the whole database to the client. We're going to talk about that in a minute, because obviously that's something I've done. Ship the whole database to the client? (laughs) (laughs) No, sadly not. But you could, using something like Algolia, not the whole database, but a graph. Right, yeah, that being, that's search as a service. Search as a service, yes. We'll talk about these things in a minute because I have multiple experiences in that. But we need to speak about our second client, our donation links and why they're important, why they currently sit on Vercel. They're built in Next.js. One of the big features of Next.js, ISSG. Incremental static site generation. It's some acronym, something like that. You don't want to have to build 9,000 pages every time you change one of them. Exactly. As I said earlier with Gatsby, I have 2,000 donation links. What happens now? As soon as the Next.js client fetches that page, bam, the updates are there. No rebuilds. The only caveat that I've seen right now with it is that it requires someone to refresh the page first. So say the database updates in the background, I go to the page, I will see the old changes, I refresh the page, and then I'll see the new changes from the incremental static site generation. That may be because I've not fully configured the Next.js ISSG properly yet, but a lot of it is magic and I think it's amazing to what I've done so far. This brought up a really good point in my talk where I said, Every time you're working on something in a business for like a client, you need to evaluate your options and pick the best one that works for each client. For example, our donation links worked better in Next.js and our dashboard worked better in Redwood. And I think it will stay that way for some time. On our tech stack picture, I drew two nice little boxes. One saying everything hosted on DigitalOcean, that is pretty much everything and everything hosted on Vercel, that is just our donation links. In the future, we're going to be moving our donation links into our DigitalOcean account. We're gonna be adding it to our monolith. But before we do that, we also really wanna work out proxying, SSL certificates, and allowing our customers to use our short links behind their own URLs. That's something I've not fully figured out yet, If someone knows how to do that in Nginx and have uh, obviously HTTPS certificates and all that sorted out, I would really like to know how you do that. We also have, just to round out the picture, we use three other services built into our product. That is Magic Links for the auth provider, Postmark for emails, and Stripe for payments. What do you think, Anthony? I think we could do a whole a whole separate episode in terms of like integrating third party services and like what that means. I can imagine that 
you would have spent a lot of time looking at different auth providers and maybe looked at like Braintree instead of Stripe. I think what we talked about now is probably good to kind of close it out with in terms of the actual architecture, but I know that the third party services aspect is a really huge topic that I would like to kind of delve into as, as their own subjects. Yes, that was our quick tech stack. But what are some cool extras that have been built into our second version that I think were really easy because Redwood handled a lot of the boilerplate technical wealth for me? Team management, magic links, auth providers, better error handling, error handling set up on our clients and our API using app signal. It gives a really nice dashboard of how everything's looking and in terms of like request times and everything. We also have user logs. So every time a service is called, we log who ran the service, what their IP were, and what data they tried to retrieve. And RBAC. But I also think it's by a different name than RBAC. C-A-S-L or something like that. Someone said about it on the Redwood community as it's not RBAC, it's something else. It's basically like permissions. It's just a library called CSL. It's an isomorphic authorization JavaScript library, which restricts what resources a given user is allowed to access. Okay, I've done RBAC with roles and permissions. Whatever that's called, I do not know. Yeah, so that's auth N plus auth Z. This is why I say we need to do a whole auth episode where we actually kind of research and define all these terms. And I want to get David T on to talk about this stuff. David T is a legend. He helped build the Redwood RBAC. So whatever I've built is whatever Anthony just said. I can't tell you what it is. It basically does role authentication and permission authentication or custom built from our database. At this point, I showed a demo of Everfund, a nice little slice. And then I said two statistics. How many devs took to build this? And I said one developer and four months. What was your reaction to that, Anthony? Which developer was it? Uh, me. That was the drop the mic moment. It was great. I could, I heard the crowd gasp over my streaming service. Do I even remember? Uh, even Tom Preston Warner gasped, and he's seen a lot in his time. <laughs> sure, yeah, we'll go with that. He's seen a lot. We've all seen a lot. Even David gasped. But yes, I've sacrificed a lot of my time to get this out. It wouldn't have been possible without Redwood and the people that have helped throughout my Redwood time, that I will carry on bugging them into the future with Redwood things. That was basically the, the whole talk. So I spoke a lot, obviously. And what's funny too is like, we've been talking about this throughout the course of the whole show at this point. So like some of this is even rehashed from what we've talked about in the past. I think it's great because it shows how you have to keep going over these ideas kind of on multiple levels because for you, like this is the tech you were living with for, like you said, months at a time. For you to like explain to someone all of the things that goes into that is just not possible. Like you're, you're compressing so much information. So I think it's great to have these different resources and people can watch your talk and they can listen to this episode and they can look at your your diagrams that you've created and hopefully people can start to get a sense of what it really takes to build one of these applications this was a super fun conversation we're gonna have brandon from blitz coming on for the episode after this one so that'll be really fun we'll get to talk a little bit about redwood and blitz how they relate to each other how they are different how they may be going at things from similar or different angles And there's a lot to dive in there. And I think listeners will find that one pretty interesting. My last question for you, Anthony, is this was 
my first technology talk. Should I do more? If you had this be the only one you ever did, then you could at least go out on a high note. But yeah, no, I think obviously I'm someone who I go out and do. I do talks like every week now almost. So I am a big fan of them. I think it's a great way to share knowledge, but also build credibility and hopefully get the word out about cool stuff you're working on, which in your case being Everfund. I'm working on a lot of cool stuff that is making me gray. I have a lot of gray hair and I'm already, I'm only 24. It's always picked out by my partner. But now that the application is up and running, you don't have to do anything else, right? Everything just works forever and you never have to think about it, right? Right? Sadly not, because this is only our soft launch and it's not got every feature that we require to fully launch it. So you're not worried about ops though? You're not worried about it crashing at 2am? Yeah, we have customers using it. I like to abstract as much responsibility as way as possible. Apparently even Amazon can't keep that up these days, so good luck with that, I would say. <laughs> well, that's why you just, you know, you host it by yourself on DigitalOcean, so even if Amazon falls, you don't. Because if I remember rightly, Netlify went down with Amazon. Yeah, Netlify, I believe, is in US East 1, so that would have been, like, uh, all of Netlify. <laughs> All of Netlify is in US East 1. I don't know about all of Netlify. Oh, no. So all of Netlify is not in US East 1. But if you are using functions on, like, the free plan, all of your functions are in US East 1. So like, they have a, a huge dependency on US East 1 that a lot of their services rely on. But they have a globally distributed CDN. Like, that. that's the whole point. They're not all in US East 1. I love American tech companies. think they're the center of the universe. With West Coast servers... This is my final comment. We use a provider. We love the service. It's perfect. But they're hosted in US West 2. So that's California. Yeah, I was going to say, I have no idea which one that is. But the biggest thing is I live in Britain, United Kingdom. That's halfway across the planet. Yeah, it's like you and me talking to each other. And I'm complaining about one second delays from sending something to California and back. The internet is amazing, but you sometimes forget how far data can travel there and back in one second. It takes about 100 milliseconds to make that hop at just the speed of light itself. And because of like TLS handshakes, you have to do a, a couple of those. That's why you're going to end up with a noticeable latency almost no matter what. But come on, halfway across the world, and I'm complaining about a one second latency a lot can happen in a second that's it for this episode we're, i'm just gonna say it again if you've never put faces to names anthony is ajc web dev on twitter and i am burned chris on twitter or you can follow our main twitter account of fsjam.org where we normally post updates about the frameworks and what's going on around us but no one can see your face right now. You're putting a voice to a name. Well, you can put a, a voice to a name on our Twitter profiles. I'm just going to do a one more tease. We have almost confirmed our Christmas slash New Year podcast. And it's going to be a really good one. It will be our first roundtable podcast. We are hoping that we're going to see representatives from redwood bison and blitz for a nice wholesome christmas community talk about where we hope to take javascript in 2021 that's everything bye bye, -bye.
I heard that you slapped him in the face and said, I do what I want. No, that's, you guys don't even live in the same country. How, how would anyone say that? 